as you find your seats. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Also, we're going to go back to that responsive reading, that great reading out of Philippians 2. So if you want to mark two places, Luke 14 and Philippians 2. I don't know what's in the water at Orangewood, but it is a blessed deal. God's Spirit is moving in our midst. Uh, We have the blessing of yet another covenant child. Beth and Aaron Gottschall, she gave birth to their daughter, Julia Glenna Gottschall. And again, God has blessed our family. He has blessed their family. We're so excited. The Gottschalls, uh, Aaron's a doctor in town and got called here to Central Florida. Recently, Beth said, you know, we don't have any family here. Your family. That's what she said. You are our, her, their family, so we truly do rejoice in God's blessing of this covenant child. So we can just say praise God and amen with a nice applause for the Gottschalls. Last Sunday night, I had an incredible blessing. Last Sunday night, I had the privilege of preaching at our latest church plant, City Church, uh, right on Mills Avenue. Uh, They're meeting in what now is owned by Lake Highland Prep. They bought that former Baptist church uh, on Mills, 1792, very close to Colonial. And it was so good seeing 30 or 40 of our former members there making up a core group of over 100 already. And just to see worship take place and to be a part of that vibrant congregation, I was so proud. So proud of this church uh, for their gospel generosity. As the pastor, Ted Sin, who uh, spent some time with us, got up and introduced me, he said, I just want to thank Orangewood. I want to thank Orangewood for their generosity. I want to thank Orangewood because we wouldn't be here apart from Orangewood by God's grace. And it was so encouraging to to see God move in our midst. And that gospel generosity that you and I are showing by God's grace is awesome. I got to tell you, they're meeting in a sanctuary. (laughs) It's not right to go to your church plant and have sanctuary envy, I don't think. But actually it is right, in a sense, because this church has been a birthing church. This church has been a giving church. This church has been about Jesus. It's been about Christ and His kingdom. Taking seriously that God is calling us to be a city on a hill. Taking seriously that God is calling us to be a radiant bride for Christ. Taking seriously... That God is calling us to make a difference in Central Florida. And as I worshiped with our brothers and sisters in Christ and saw a new church take form, I said, hallelujah, praise God for the truth of the gospel that is resonating in your heart. In this church. I had lunch with a PCA pastor this week, Pete Alwinson. Pete uh, also left us several years ago to start a church called Willow Creek Church that's doing great. They got a new sanctuary too. (laughs) It's amazing to think. Go by University Press. They got a sanctuary. But think of all the gospel generosity that this church has shown from the beginning of the Chuck Green years 
through the Bob Cargo years, and now, by God's grace, through the Jeff Jakes years. I'm just so proud of you. As I had lunch with Pete, he said, now, you guys recently planted a church. Tell me about it. I, said, I can't wait to tell you. I just preached there. He said, now, aren't you guys in the middle of a capital campaign? Yeah. Uh, economy's really bad? Yep. You planted a church. We did. God's own fool. Call us foolish. 30 or 40 of us left. But truly, it's that gospel. It's the truth that God has called us to multiply. God has called us to give. God has not called us to hoard. God has called us to bless. God has called us to reflect who he is. And what a joy. Group hug. I think by God's grace, we're doing it. But we've only just begun. As we journey together today in our ten deadly sins, we come upon something that runs in the face of gospel generosity. Something that I struggle with. And it's amazing. It seems like those in the ministry sometimes struggle more than those outside the ministry. It's entitlement. It's the sin where we believe that we deserve honor, prestige, power. That we deserve the place of honor. That something inside of us, something that we've obtained, or maybe our educational level, or maybe our physical prowess, but something inside of us drives us to believe that we believe, and I believe as Americans, we really believe this, we're entitled. We're entitled to the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. It's an inalienable right. We can't be separated from it. And somehow, it's creeped into the church. And I even see it creeping into this church, into my own life. So when we put next to each other, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to put next to each other the truth of the gospel. What does it mean for us to live out the reality of the gospel? And how does entitlement, how do those feelings that somehow we deserve honor, we deserve power, we deserve prestige, how do they rail against each other? And why is Jesus so angry when it comes to those who think they're entitled? And we'll realize the answer lies in the fact that He came to give. He came to serve. The Gospel is in complete opposition to the sin of entitlement. If you look with me in Luke chapter 14, we're going to read verse 1. And then we're going to skip to verses 7 through 11. There'll be an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along there. You also will will be, uh, through my sermon, looking back to Philippians 2, verses 3 through 10. But let's open up God's Word. And just again, as we open it up, let's together under our breaths and our minds say, Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Word. Uh, Let's acknowledge that this is His love letter to us. Um, He's preserved this. It's holy. It's uh, separate. From any other writings, it'll never lead us astray. It's without error. And we are so thankful to be under its authority and to uh, be able to open it up freely here in this worship service. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, let's get the picture. It's a Sabbath. When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So right away, we have a picture. Uh, There's going to be a festivity. Uh, Jesus is invited to the kind of the other side of the street. Scripture tells us, and we sang about it a few minutes ago, or was sung that, you know, he didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus, a pauper, very poor. At the end of his life, his only possession 
they'd gamble for, that soldiers would gamble for. But now, I love this about Jesus. He mingles not just with the poor. He finds himself in a house of a prominent religious leader. Someone with a lot of respect. Someone everybody knew. But as he went there as a guest, as he was on the invite list, uh, Jesus was welcome. The thing we got to realize about Jesus' invitation was no one was there from the Pharisees, it seems. They really wanted to learn from Jesus. They wanted to worship Jesus. They wanted to sit at his feet. No, they had other intentions. They wanted to bring Jesus there and watch him. Let's see what this fool will do. God's own fool. So that's the setting that we find ourselves in. And you skip down to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. Okay, so we have Jesus. He's in this house. And now you have Jesus noticing the guests arrive. And as the guests arrive, they start jockeying for position. And where they start jockeying for position is those places of prestige. Those places of honor. Now I'm going to ask you a question. It's not rhetorical. It's a little different than typical reading of Scripture. I want to ask you to tell me why. Why do you think they were looking for the seats of honor? Can you, some of you, tell me why you think? When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor, um, he told them a parable. Why do you think they'd be looking for the places of honor? Why? Get the best, okay? Why else? Status. Status in other people's eyes. Why else? Say that again. They felt like they deserved it. I mean, you got to understand, there's something inside these people that they would feel like, I'm going something about their education, something about their life, something about their socioeconomic status. Something was happening with them where they felt like they were entitled, they deserved seats of honor. And heaven forbid they wouldn't find one. Let me ask you a question as we continue reading. Where are those places in your life where you feel entitled to honor? Where are those places in your life that you jockey for position? Wanting to be noticed. Wanting to be received. Wanting to be praised. So Jesus notices this, common in their day as it is ours. In verse seven, verse 8, he tells this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, certainly having read through Scripture, we can picture a wedding feast to come. Do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. By the way, is there anyone there who was invited that was more distinguished than any of them? What's his name? Very good. For those of you who are visiting, anytime a preacher asks a question like that, you're not sure, just yell out, Jesus, you're probably in the ballpark. That's good. Jesus. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important seat. This isn't just, hey, shove over, bump down one. This is... Get up and go to the back of the line. Get that least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all other guests. 
And the kicker? For all those who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let us pray. Father God, I confess, I confess, I seek after so often that place of honor. And like the Pharisees in this story that Jesus himself was invited to, they longed after prestige, notoriety, the praise of men, a religion that was external and that drew a crowd. But Jesus, you came for something so much greater and so much more. And when we think about you, Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we think about what you laid aside, the glory you laid aside to come and to rescue each and every one of your children, we're humbled. Jesus, you in the story and you in every day of eternity deserve your rightful place, the head of the table, receiving the most honor and glory. But instead, you served. Instead, you washed feet. So Father, what we need to understand today is how our God can do such a thing how he could love so deeply. And I confess, I don't have the words to describe it, but you do. So Father, do that which only you can do. Speak through a broken sinner. Come and open up our ears to hear from Jesus. Come and shine the Spirit of God. Illumine our minds to understand Scripture, what this story means for us. God, I confess my heart is still stony and cold Again this morning, take my heart and my brothers and sisters in Christ and even those who don't know you yet and give us a clean and fresh new heart. And God, if we only hear this sermon and we walk out and we're not changed, it's just falling away. But God, empower our feet so we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is said and true that contains the good news of Jesus, use those things to make us more like your son. The things that are merely my opinion are wrong. May they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. We're going to see this problem with entitlement. And what happens in the story is there's people who are going to arrive at a party believing that they are entitled. They're entitled to a place of prestige. They're entitled to honor. They're entitled to what the world has to offer. And we're going to begin by looking at the problem with seeking that place of entitlement. And really, just comparing that to the gospel, it's, it's entitlement. It calls us to seek our own honor and seek our own glory. When we live a life that's entitled, we really will love ourselves. We'll love our own name. We won't love our neighbors as ourselves. As a matter of fact, neighbors will become stepping stones to greatness. Stepping stones so we can find the spotlight. So we can find those places of honor. And entitlement, it's... In so little ways, we see it manifest itself. It's skipping in line. I remember recently pulling into a parking lot that I knew would be full. And I knew that uh, in a few minutes, the parking lot would be full and there'll be those who have to park in overflow parking. 
And as I pulled in, there was one car that took two spots. You ever seen those? Do you ever notice what those cars aren't? Do you ever see like a 1972 gremlin hugging two spots? You know, you ever see like an older model beat up rusty car? No, it's always something slick and fancy. And I got to confess, I want to park right next to them. I mean, I really do. I want to just pull my Explorer, my 2000 Explorer alongside of them and say, yeah, whatever. What gives you the right? What gives you the right that you're going to make someone else walk? What gives you the right that you have a fancy enough car, you've spent enough money, that somehow you're entitled to two? Am I angry about that? It's funny because uh, as I got out of the car, I struck up a conversation with a woman who uh, said, Can you believe that? I said, I know, it just drives me and my wife crazy. And she said, Your wife drove that? I said, No, 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 it drives us crazy. That's not us. But that's entitlement. As little as skipping in line. As little as parking in two parking spots. As little as living above the rules. How is it with your life? I mean, what, what are the rules to you? Uh, what are society and, and what we should do and not do? Is it depend on how busy we are? It depends how late we are. Does it depend on what our day looks like? Entitlement. See, entitlement will always seek its own glory. It will seek its own honor. It will seek its own position. And we got to realize that naturally in your heart and in my heart, we're going to seek it. We are. By nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we are selfish. By nature, we are consumed with self. By nature, we want to be God in our own self. We want to be exalted. But here's the good news of the gospel. And it's going to come and it's going to hit right between the eyes entitlement. The gospel is something completely different. The gospel calls us to seek God's honor and glory. The good news of the gospel is that we're to live for something bigger than greater than ourselves. The honor and glory, not of our name, but of His. The gospel calls us to love God. To love God, not self, but to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The good news of the gospel says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, in the good news of the gospel... And what Jesus has done for sinners like us, fulfilling God's requirements, dying on the cross for our sins, robing us in His righteousness, this is an incredible transition takes place. In the Gospel, when we are in Christ Jesus, when by God's grace we've given our faith to God's Son, Jesus, to come and have lived and died for us and been resurrected from the dead, we now have new life in Christ. And this Gospel... Our position now is in Christ. It's no longer in ourselves. It's amazing. It says this. Our life now has been hidden with Christ Jesus. So the position we have in the world, God no longer wants us to see our position by what is on our business card or what is on our mailing address or what is in our bank account. As children of the living God, He wants us to see our position as being in the family. As being in Christ. And our honor comes not in ourself. Our honor comes in our big brother. Our big brother that we're so proud of. And wearing his uniform. His righteousness. 
Our honor doesn't come with something that we're trying to find in and of ourselves. Our honor comes through us from the true and living God who calls us into relationship with Him. Our power now is not in ourselves. Our power is in Him, in the Gospel of Christ. And now our power is not something that we selfishly use to move ourselves, propel ourselves to the top. Now this this Gospel power has been given to us to empower others. So that all those around us, our neighbors, all those in need, we have been empowered to power. How do we know that? Because the one with ultimate power empowers us in Christ Jesus. That's how power is to be used. Now prestige. Prestige. Prestige comes in the name that you and I get to bear. And it's Jesus. And it's Christ. That's our prestige. It's not in our education. It's not in our stuff. You see, the Gospel is a complete antithesis of what the world will say. You fire us where you find prestige. Jesus says, prestige is found in humbling following Me. Prestige is found is that Although we can do great things, your name and my name is written in the book of life. That the eternal God of the universe has loved us with an everlasting love. That we're His. Prestige comes from saying, Jesus loves me. I'm in His family. I'm His. I may have nothing else or I may have everything else. My prestige is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And the beauty of the gospel, and you got to hear this. My brothers and sisters, you've got to hear this. And the beauty of the gospel, that honor, that glory, that prestige in Christ, you can't lose. When we're trying to find the honor and prestige and glory of ourselves, it's never going to be enough. We're always going to be striving for more. But in the gospel, Jesus today wants to set you free. He wants to say, forget entitlement. Pursue the gospel. Because who you are in Christ will never, ever change. You are mine. I dearly love you. Live your life now serving others. The problem with seeking entitlement is seeking the place of honor for ourselves. You see, we seek the place of honor. But God has told us, and this church, if you've been around here for a while, you know that you've heard me say over and over and over again, it's on our bulletin, it's our motto, for Christ and His kingdom, it's not about us. And we have to be reminded about that because selfish people like me forget. You know, I can do things like, I had the opportunity this week to uh, uh, be a part of something really special. There was a memorial service for a 95-year-old saint. Dear friend of mine, elder in our church, Sid Cash, his mom passed away. And I had the privilege of doing uh, the meditation at Winter Park Baptist Church. First, uh, First Baptist Winter Park. They got a congregation too. You know, when you have your, uh, when you're, when you're and listen, for those of you who think I'm worried about a, con- a sanctuary, I said they have a congregation too, didn't I? Sorry. They have a sanctuary too. And I'm not hung up about it. Really, this is it. Is God here with us? I'm just trying to make you laugh. But when you have, when this is your sanctuary, you have a lot of away games, all right? And we had one. It was at uh, First Baptist Winter Park. It was beautiful. And I was there and the room filled up. It was such an honor to talk about Jesus. It was such an honor to see a family that so honored Christ. No divorces. 
But even that, I have a hard time realizing, you know, Jeff, it's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about seeking God's glory. It's about being a vessel. And even in the ministry, sometimes we slip in there and we want to seek that place of honor. And God has to remind this pastor, He has to remind this church, and maybe He has to remind you, it's for Christ and His kingdom. It's not about us. Look, look at Philippians 2. Let's turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is going to show us the antithesis of what entitlement's all about. And it shows us Jesus. Again, it says this, that you and I are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Are you kidding me? Did you hear that? Scripture is calling us that we are to do nothing, not most things, not some things, but nothing, nothing, zero, zip, nada, not one thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, we value others above ourselves. Their parking spot is more important than mine. Their place in line is more important than mine. Their rights are more important than mine. Their name is more important than mine. In humility, we value others above ourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you, each one of you, children of the living God, each one of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, the way you treat one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. You see, we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are to do nothing that on our own seeks the place of honor. We need to seek the honor and glory of Christ. And the Gospel has set us free to do that. The only way, the only way we can do this The only way that we can ever live our lives not being egocentric, the only way we can ever begin to say, I want to do a few things without selfish ambitions or vain conceit. I want to be moving toward that. The only way we could ever live not for ourselves is to be gospel-centered. The only way you can do it, the only way you can do it is to die to yourself and to live for one who's a lot greater than you. Each of you and me. We should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. We should be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. You see, it's amazing thing is this, is when we try to honor ourselves in truth, we dishonor ourselves. In God's economy, we dishonor ourselves. In verse 9 it says this, when that person was humiliated... They weren't just bumped down the line. They said, go to the back of the line. In God's economy, those who are trying to reach uh, a name for themselves, those who are trying to struggle for their own honor and glory, those are the people that are least important and need the least important places. The bottom line is, my brothers and sisters, is that when we are loving ourselves, there's not room to love God. And there's not room to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we try to honor ourselves, we dishonor Christ. Who should have been in that place of honor? Who should have been sit- sitting in the most prominent place? It was Jesus. 
and there was someone standing in his place. Most likely in this setting at dinner, there was someone reclining in his place. Where in your life are you reclining in the place of Jesus? Where in your life or in in your work, your community, are you living for your name and reputation? And maybe a little shame to his? Where in your life, where in your ministry, where in your parenting, maybe you're embarrassed a little bit of the gospel? And Jesus isn't in that prominent place? Because that's those places that the Spirit of the living God has to come and touch us and say, you're going to have to move and put Jesus on his rightful place. Let me tell you, Orangewood, again, I started off positively. I want to wrap my arms around you. It's true. We are. God is moving in our midst. But let me tell you a couple places I do see this. I see oftentimes we live our lives as if the rules don't apply to us. Some places like silly like carpool. Where they say, don't do this, don't do that, wait your turn. It may seem silly. Amazing that uh, after 10 years of youth ministry, I see it a lot in our kids. I remember we would take so many kids to camp, it would be full. And parents would call and say, I want my kid to go, I'm sorry, it's full. No, no, I want my kid to go. I'm sorry, it's full. You don't understand, I want my kid to go, I understand. I'd love to take him, but it's full. Give me the number, I'll call. I'll find a place. It doesn't apply to me. I think that oftentimes we parent as if our kids were the center of the universe. And for those of us who are parents, we've got to be very, very careful that as we love our kids, we're not giving them a sense of entitlement, that the world owes them everything. Parents, we've got to be very, very careful that our kids do not believe that they're the center of the universe. Because they're not. And there's going to be a day where it comes crashing down that they're not. Let them know that Jesus is the center of the universe. And that there's going to be times that they'll have to take second seat every time to Him and to others. This is where I see entitlement really sneaking in to Orangewood. Because God has blessed us with families. God has blessed us with an incredible school and ministries and student ministries and children's ministries. And you are like me, parents. We would do anything for our kids. We want our kids to miss nothing. But sometimes we don't see it through the lenses of Christianity and Christ. We're playing by the rules of the world. How is it with your family? How is it with your kids? Are we living in such a way that really drives them to Jesus? Or are we living in a way that they think they are the center of the universe? You know, unbelievably, we have this incredible call, and the call is to descend into greatness. I ripped off the title. It's a Bill Hybels book. It's a great book. He's a preacher of uh, Willow Creek in Chicago. But our call as Christians is this. Ultimately, it's going to be upward. But while we're serving Him, we're to descend into the places of servanthood, descend into greatness. We should be seeking the lowly places. Look again in verse 10. It says we should seek those. 
Can you imagine how antithetical that is to the American call? That you and I are called to seek servanthood? That you and I are to seek the lowly places? I mean, oftentimes we'll think, that's, those are for the uneducated. Those are for those who can't really do as much as we can do and should do. we got to go for the gusto. we got to seek the brass ring. we got to go for number one. And unbelievably, I want to tell you, the Scripture makes very clear that is not what the Gospel calls us to seek. Why? Because that's not what Jesus sought. Unbelievably, the one who deserved the place of honor, the one who deserves numero uno, came to serve. Unbelievable. Listen to what it says again in Philippians 2 now. Having this very uh, attitude of uh, Christ Jesus. Look at verses 6 through 9. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. This is what verse 6 says. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man in flesh. Mystery, but true. And as one who was sinless, as one who's fully God, he had every right to be served and to be worshipped. And there will be a day when he will be. But he did not consider that something to be held onto and used as a stick to beat over our heads. He didn't use it to his own advantage. What has God given you? What gifts and abilities? What comes naturally? What power has God placed into your hands? Are you using it for your own good or the advancement of the, of the kingdom? Rather, in verse 7, listen to this. Rather, he made himself nothing. I love what the King James says about this. He became a man of no reputation. Not a bad reputation. Not even a questionable reputation. A man of no reputation. How in the world can you be a man of no reputation? It's when you live for another's reputation. It's when you live for another's glory. It's when you say, I'm here to do nothing but my Father's will. I'm here to do nothing but that which the Father has called me to do. I am living for my Father's glory. That's what you and I are called to. That's the attitude we're supposed to have in Christ Jesus. It's not about our name. It's not about our reputation. It's all about His. And how we live our lives to reflect His glory. Rather, He made Himself nothing. This is the Creator of the universe. This is God of gods. This is Lord of lords. He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, we are to descend into greatness just as our Savior Christ Jesus descended into greatness. Why? As you seek that lowly place, you're going to find Jesus. As you seek that lowly place, that's where he will be. That's where a servant, you'll find a servant. That's where you're going to find the one who's going to be washing feet. You want to see Jesus? You want to know him more? Seek the lowly places. That's where he hangs out. And I would love as your pastor for you to email me, jjakes at orangewood.org, and tell me when you found him and where you served him. Because I guarantee you, as you empty out yourself of all but love, I guarantee you, as you strive to honor His name above your own name, I guarantee you, as you strive to love your neighbor as yourself, I guarantee you, as you live for God's glory alone, you will find Jesus. That's where He is. 
He's in those lowly places. He's with the marginalized. He's with the broken. He's with the needy. If God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're called, this is this picture, we're called to lift up. Church of the living God, city on a hill, those called to make a difference here in central Florida. Your call and my call is to find those lowly, broken places so that God's grace, He can lift us up and those around us. That's the gospel. Jesus had to go to all the broken places, all the dark places that your life runs to. He had to go to every dark place so He could lift us up to the Father. And now as His ambassador and His children, He says, I want you to go to those lowly places. For those of you who are uh, students, let me encourage you, every lunchroom has a lowly place. Every lunchroom has a place that the broken and the marginalized are cast to. That's where you'll find Jesus. Go there. Everyone in the neighbor, everyone has a neighbor that's a lowly place. Go there. Everyone has a workplace, a workmate who's uh, in a lowly place. Go there. Why? Because God exalts the humble. He exalted him, his own son. He gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord of lords. And we have the privilege now here on earth to bow our knee and acknowledge it. By God's grace, we know the truth that Jesus is Lord of lords. And God is going to lift up in his own timing those who humble themselves. That's our call. And those who feel entitled and those that are living their lives as if we are the center, he humbles. Our world is going to crash. I remember my grandmother. I invited her to a... uh, I had two grandmothers. One who really loved Jesus and and one who didn't. And the one who really loved Jesus prayed for me every day. And the one who didn't, I remember inviting her in college to come hear the gospel. And I remember sitting next to her. and, And it was a Baptist preacher and he wouldn't let it go. And he made us turn to the person next to us and ask them if they wanted to go down the aisle. And I was absolutely scared spitless. I had to turn to my grandmother and I had to ask her to go in a squeaky voice. Girl, grandma, would you like to go and receive Jesus? I'll never forget her response. She said, Jeffrey, if there's a heaven, no one can keep me out. That somehow she was entitled. Somehow she was good enough. Somehow her life would open up eternal doors. It's not true. There's only one who is good enough and his name is Jesus. There's only one who opens up heaven's door and his name is Jesus. There's only one that we should live our lives bringing glory and honor to and his name is Jesus. There's only one whose power and prestige should live in us, not our own. It's Jesus's. Where is He in your life? Are you living for your own glory, your own honor, your own name, or are you living for His? You see, I think the call for us is to look into those areas because each one of us, whether you've yet to embrace Christ as Savior, and I hope today's the day, or you've been walking with Him for a while, It's my prayer that the Spirit of the living God has been pressing on your heart those places that you're king and he's not. Those places you feel entitled. For those of you who have never done this or for those of you who have been walking with Christ, the message is this. Repent of those places. 
For those of you who have never trusted Christ, it's, it's the center place of your heart. Repent and believe the good news of the Gospel of one who has come to set you free. One who has come to make you a child. And then we can truly live. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for a love that's changed us from the inside out. Thank You for a Savior that's worth living for. Thank You that we can live our lives empowered by the Spirit for Your glory and not our own. What a sad, pathetic life when we live our lives being believing that we're entitled. If You gave us what we deserve, Father, we'd get Your wrath and separation in hell. But Father, we thank You that You gave us so much more. You gave us life through the work of Your Son, through the power of Your Spirit. Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray for those who have yet to trust Christ for Savior as Savior. That today, they wouldn't leave here like my grandmother, thinking that heaven will open up for them. But they would trust the words of Christ that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, only life, and the only way to the Father. And by your grace and for your glory, today would be the day where they would embrace you by faith as Savior. God, for the rest of us, we've all lived our lives believing in some areas that we're entitled. God, reveal us those places. Make us more like your Son when invited to a prominent party He sought the place that was low to love those around Him. The truth is, that's where He found us in those broken places. Now may we go in His name. We pray this all in Christ's powerful name. Amen.